You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, the second of three volumes of that number, entitled Esoteric Lessons from 1910 to 1912, translated by James Hines. This is section 4, which will go from pages 132 of the book to 181. Esoteric Lesson, Mannheim, March 10, 1911. Manuscript from Alice Kinkle. The first fruit of our meditation is this, that we get a feeling for our striving to unite with the beings of the higher hierarchies. And this should express itself as a feeling of being taken up into higher worlds, of having arrived at the place where we stood at the very beginning of existence. This is how we should experience it. This feeling of being taken into the spiritual world should become warm and alive. Those who would enter the spiritual world must say to themselves that everything, everything must change for esotericists. Their concepts, feelings, and knowledge must change. Take the egotism of human beings. It is luciferic beings who have given us memory. And while we practice thriftiness in the physical life, we are terrible spendthrifts with the powers of our soul and spirit. However, we must become thrifty with these wasted forces and transform them into powers of vision. In order to do this, we need to practice self-knowledge. From morning to evening, we scatter and waste our feelings and sensations too selfishly. Therefore, we must first go through egotism with our spiritual soul forces. There is a danger here for an esotericist the danger that egotism will be strengthened. Therefore, all genuine esotericism must be accompanied by a moral and intellectual purification of the human being. We must be clear that as esotericists we are required to do the impossible and that we must strive for the impossible. All striving is precisely this, a striving for the impossible. And it is also impossible to be non-egotistical. We must attempt to have the proper feeling for all striving for inner development. Greed for knowledge and advancement is not appropriate, but rather a serious feeling for the duty to develop. This is what we should have, because the Divine Spirit has put powers in us and then developed them without our involvement but also placed active forces within us that we ourselves must develop through deeds. It is the greatest sin to oppose the Divine Spirit and not develop these forces that the Godhead placed in us for the salvation of human evolution. These forces in us are so strong that they will lead us up into the spiritual world if only after a long period of time. For this reason, an esotericist should say, I will wait. 
for I know that the powers in me lead me upward one day into the spiritual world. Close quote. These forces can do this if we are devoted in the right way to the spiritual world. The auxiliary exercises create the character traits necessary for us on the physical plane. They are control of thinking, self-chosen actions, imperturbable composure, and so forth. Gradually we will develop a chamber in our hearts, in our souls, in which we can keep our most holy soul content, where we are esotericists, while at the same time we are in external life. Battle with ourselves and with the world is, of course, inevitable. We must become fighters if we are to become esotericists. The many complaints of those who meditate that thoughts storm them and disturb them are to be answered this way. These thoughts are beings that flutter about us, that increasingly attack us. And one can only say, be happy that this is happening. This means success in meditation. It shows you that thought is a spiritual power. Courage, fearlessness and faith are the character traits that esotericists need on their path. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin, March 15, 1911. Record A, anonymous manuscript from the Freda collection. Record B, manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg. Notes from Paula Stritzik with addenda from Günther Wagner. Record A. As was explained the last time, January 17, 1911, our meditations should stand under the motto, quote, steady drops hollow the stone, close quote. The study of theosophical works serves as an effective preparation for the exercises. It is better to have read one work twenty-five times than to have read five books five times each. And anyone who has read a book two or three times must not imagine that he or she has read it at all. If on a specific day of the year we have experienced something specific while meditating, then on the same day, a year later, if we have really studied in the meantime, we will be able to experience much more. It is good to retain the same meditation through long periods of time. This is much better than constantly changing one's meditation. Not only should we enrich our thoughts through study, we should also develop certain feelings. We can find a starting point for understanding very deep things in simple sensations. For example, we should at some time or another become aware of what it feels like to take hold of something, say, an object of some kind, versus what it feels like to be taken hold of, for example, by the hand. Here we can feel a clear difference. If, for example, we imagine the feeling that is stirred in us when we take hold of a snail or when a snail crawls over our hand without our knowing it. If we develop well these different feelings, then we can form a concept of the difference between the sub-sensory world and the supra-sensory world. The whole physical world with our feelings of this kind is maya or illusion. 
We can picture this world as a field or a plain. Above, it is a suprasensory world. Under it uh, is a subsensory world. The suprasensory world is such that it can be brought together with a feeling of being taken hold of. The subsensory world, on the other hand, can be associated with a feeling of taking hold of something. In Rosicrucian teachings, the subsensory world was always called the elemental world. This is the world of the elements, fire, air, water, and earth. One penetrates to the element of earth by meditating on triangles, squares, pentagons, altogether on geometric figures. This should be done by writing these figures with the fingers of one hand on the palm of the other hand. Then one should drop every thought of the hands and writing and imagine the feeling of the figure being written onto one's hand as if floating freely in space. One should immerse oneself in this feeling. In this way one gradually takes hold of the earth element. The element of water is grasped by imagining a fixed material point and another mobile point that moves in a circle around the first point. Then one should write this on one's hand and proceed as with the first figure. One should think of the second point as one that rotates continuously. For the air element, one thinks of two fixed points that want to fly apart from each other into infinite distances after they first describe a kind of semicircle around each other. If we work with this figure exactly as with the preceding figures, then we grasp the air element. Then we do not merely feel the air flowing past us and caressing us, we rather take hold of it. For the element of fire, we think of a closed figure such as a loop or a lemniscate, a figure eight on its side. One should especially feel that there is an intersecting point where the curve touches itself. Readers aside, and there are pictures of all these examples in the book. End of readers aside. One should do these exercises constantly for an extended period of time. They are not easy. One must first acquire a certain skill in feeling the sensations in space without using one's hand, and secondly, in holding the figures firmly in mind. But then these exercises lead to perception of the elemental world. One learns how to take hold of the elemental world. However, there is a rule, without exception, that these exercises simultaneously make one egotistical. For this reason, one must never do them without at the same time developing an all-encompassing feeling of compassion for everything that causes joy and pain to develop in the human soul. When we ascend into the suprasensory world, we are actually taken hold of by higher beings who use us as instruments, just as we use our eyes, ears, and so forth. The danger that accompanies this experience is that one loses oneself in the negative sense of the term. That is why it is necessary at the same time to develop courage and fearlessness. Then we can calmly allow ourselves to be taken hold of by spiritual beings in the spiritual world so that we feel 
Now an angel is inspiring us. Now an archangel, and so forth. Imaginations lead us into the subsensory world. Inspirations lead us into the suprasensory world. We see how these two directions, above and below, are united in the Rosicrucian path. It is necessary for us as clairvoyants to learn to strictly distinguish between the elemental world and suprasensory beings, between two aspects of what appears as a unity here in the physical world. Anyone who would see the two together in one picture, the being and its elemental expression, such a person would be making a fundamental mistake and confuse everything. In the beginning, it is not easy to separate the two regions because the astral vision and the devakonic vision both exist. But one gradually learns, when looking upward at a being, to immediately descend in order to find the elemental expression of this being. Just as when looking at an object, one can immediately look down into a body of water to see its reflection. The Saturn condition of the earth could not be described if one could not, on the one hand, raise oneself to beings such as the spirits of will or the spirits of personality, and on the other hand penetrate to the spirits of fire. So too for the sun stage of the earth, one must recognize and know the spirits of wisdom and the archangels and the element of air. In the description found in title An Outline of Esoteric Science, both are given together, how the thrones send out the heat of Saturn and so forth. However, it is necessary in observing this to experience this as a duality. One must prepare oneself to see and hear things in the spiritual world that one has never seen or heard here below. Those who expect to find on the other side only what they already know will never be able to penetrate into the spiritual world. This is what is expressed in the second sentence of our Rosicrucian verse, in Moremur. Only when death in Christ occurs in us can we again be reawakened by the Holy Spirit. This is again expressed in more detail in what is, to a certain extent, a commentary to our two-part verse. That is what is given to us by the Masters, quote, In my body lies the seed of the Spirit. End of record A. Record B. We have already seen the last time that we should not long for new exercises. Rather, it is just when we steadfastly, faithfully do the same exercises daily, example, steady drops hollow the stone, that they affect us in a fruitful way. Feelings will settle in us that lead us up into the spiritual world. It is very much the same with reading theosophical books. Theosophists must not think they really know a book if they have read it only three times. That is as good as never having read it. And instead of reading five books five times, we should read one book twenty-five times. We will then certainly notice the results. Unconsciously, they flow into our meditations and create mile markers in our path into spiritual heights. 
everything around us, the entire world of physical sensory perceptions, we must imagine more or less as a large, wide field, a surface. The supra-sensory is spread out above it. The subsensory is spread out below it. Parenthesis, imagine the sensory world and the ordinary world of thoughts bound to the brain, maya, as a surface, a field. Above it, the supersensory world, hierarchies and so forth. Below it, the subsensory world, from which comes the uppermost sphere of the elemental world. How do the two differ? Close parenthesis. We are confronted by the subsensory in this way, as if we lay hold of it, by the supersensory world, as if we were taken hold of by it. For example, imagine taking hold of a snail or letting it crawl over your hand. That is the difference. If we imagine these two sensations often enough, we will certainly find the difference between suprasensory and the subsensory worlds. If we want to get to know the subsensory or elemental world, we should imagine geometric figures, triangle, square, and meditate upon them. Indeed, we should do it in the following way. First, we draw a triangle in one hand with the other hand. Then we carry this activity over into free floating space, as if it no longer had anything to do with us. But we are to call forth the same feeling in ourselves as before, when we drew the figure onto the hand. If we want to understand the watery element in the elemental world, we must think of a point around which another point is constantly circling. Again, one first draws it on one's hand, and then carries it over into the air, but in such a way that one imagines the movement as well as the sensation that is thereby brought about. If we want to live into the part of the elemental world that creates the air, then we must imagine two points that at first circle around one another in a half circle, but then fly apart and are lost in space. Readers aside, the picture he shows here is sort of like the two spirals of a galaxy, starting both in the center, one turning, let's say, to the right and going out, the other one turning to the left and going out the other direction, sort of like a spiral. End of readers aside. Finally, to live into fire, we must imagine a point that is moving and touches itself again and again, a lemniscate. Both of these last two symbols must also be first drawn in the hand, and then carried over into freely floating air. When we meditate on these symbols in the indicated way, we will certainly notice how we live into the elements, how we will recognize which beings live in them. At the same time, we will feel how we are constantly becoming more egotistical. These exercises can benefit us only if we simultaneously develop a sense of universal compassion, which allows us to experience every cry or sound of complaint, every moan of pain in our surroundings, as if they were originating in our own tortured hearts. And just as the danger of egotism is great when we settle into the sub-sensory world, so the danger of losing ourselves to the world is not any less dangerous when we settle into the supra-sensory world.
it is factually true that we are possessed by higher beings. They move into us, take possession of us, in order to work through us. Now, it is incumbent upon us to preserve our I, capital, our own self, not lose it. Courage, steadfastness, and fearlessness help us to do this. It is entirely useless for us to fear the possibility of any particular accident ahead of time. On the contrary, one should carry one's karma with courage and fearlessness. It is of no help to be afraid of it. From the beginning we must imagine that we will find something in the spiritual world that is different from the physical world. Spiritual beings present there come to meet us. If we enter that world expecting to find the spiritual beings in their element, then we will easily be misled. It is true that by means of such exercises we come to understand the earlier conditions of the earth and also learn how to set ourselves into them, but such experiences only stimulate us in such a way that the intuition awakens the imagination. If we, for example, imagine the thrones and the spirits of personality at work on old Saturn, and at the same time the element of fire, then we will be misled by our picture of old Saturn. We will understand this condition only if we are able to picture both of them, parenthesis, the spiritual beings and the element, close parenthesis, entirely separated. Fire must be pictured as something entirely separated, as a mirror image. The same is true for the sun and the moon. The spiritual beings, whether angels or archangels, work from above downward. They want to enter into human beings, take hold of them in order to work on the earth. We should open ourselves to them, but without surrendering our sense of self. Parenthesis, working one's way into the spiritual world is connected with a feeling of being grasped by the hierarchies which want to work through us. Working our way into the subsensory world is connected with the feeling of grasping something. The two feelings must be kept separate. For example, while we are meditating into the Saturn condition of the earth, if the thrones and the spirits of personality appear together with the element of fire, this is wrong and misleading. One must feel clearly the two as separated. Rise up to the hierarchy, dip down into the elemental world, and then back up again. Close parenthesis, end of Esoteric Lesson. Esoteric Lesson, Prague, March 29, 1911. Record A, Anonymous Manuscript from Freda Collection. Record B, Manuscript from Alice Kinkel. Record C, Notes from Günther Wagner. In one manuscript, these words follow the Rosicrucian verse. Quote, we close our gathering with the prayer of the day. The stones are silent. I have laid the eternal creative word into them. Close quote. Compare this to Collected Works 265, titled Freemasonry and Ritual Work, where we find this verse in a somewhat expanded form in Rudolf Steiner's handwriting in a facsimile reproduction.
In a lecture from October 13, 1906, Rudolf Steiner speaks of an old Rosicrucian verse, quote, I have laid the eternal creative word into the stone, close quote, parenthesis titled The Christian Mystery, Collected Works, Volume 97, close parenthesis. Record A. If we wish to follow the path of esoteric development, we will be given certain verses from an esoteric training in which lies the power to develop our higher spiritual organs if we apply the verses and meditations in the right way. Wisdom and the harmony of feelings were given. Parenthesis mantra, daily verse, Wednesday for Thursday. Close parenthesis. When we wish to immerse ourselves in the first lines of our morning exercise, quote, in pure rays of light shines the divinity of the world, close quote, we should understand that we will gain nothing for our elevation into the spiritual world if we let only the literal meaning of these words work on us. We should realize that we cannot see the divinity in the physical rays of the sun. Rather, we must look for this divinity in its high spirituality behind the rays of the sun. The sun's rays are only the outer garment for the divine. We should not take any picture from the outer world for our meditations, but rather such a picture should be created out of the spirit. To begin with, we must eliminate anything in our consciousness that reminds us of our outer surroundings. We must be able to forget everything, large and small, that stirs us in our daily lives. All outer impressions should be silent within. If we have prepared ourselves in this way, then we are immersing ourselves with our thoughts and feelings in the right way in these verses. After we have done these meditations for a longer or shorter time, then we must attempt to empty our soul of these thoughts also. In this way our souls arrive at a condition of calm and quiet, and when the intellect has been brought to silence, the higher members of the human being are lifted out of the physical body and enter into the spiritual world. However, this does not mean that the pupil has attained everything. For if we are not in the proper soul condition, having prepared ourselves for a long period of time by working on our weaknesses, that is, if we enter the spiritual world without the proper humility in our souls, and without correct knowledge of our bad character traits, the spiritual world will appear to us in a false light. It will appear to us in a false light to the same extent the outside world would appear falsely to someone who, after wearing red-colored glasses around the house, forgot to take them off when going outside. Everything outside would appear in a red light that is entirely differently from the way it looks in reality. Just as wrongly would esotericists judge the things in the suprasensory world if they were to see them through the colored lenses of their personality. Esotericists would see the angels, for example, which stand one level above the human, not as radiant beings of light as one should see them in reality. Rather, these angels would appear before them as horrible animal forms or other grotesque things. 
If they should meet on the astral plane, the beings that stand at the stage between the animals and humans, parenthesis, that are luciferic or aramonic beings, close parenthesis, these beings could appear to them as shining radiant angels, as dissembling alluring figures, and yes, even in the form of the masters of wisdom. In order to mislead the occultists, because they are still ruled too much by their arrogance and their own personalities. Esotericists should guard themselves against this and be concerned to lay aside their pride. If we want to tread an esoteric path, we can prepare ourselves only with the greatest humility in our hearts and through limitless reverence for the divine. There are other verses that can also lead us to the development of higher organs and to imagination, inspiration, and intuition. But these exercises can also be done wrongly or be misunderstood so that we are led down a false path. For example, if we were to meditate with a certain egotistical self-awareness, quote, yes, a part of the Godhead itself uh, lies in me, close quote. In this way we cultivate arrogance within us, and we achieve nothing more than strengthening our personality. We would all too soon forget that a part of the Godhead can be found in every animal, in every plant, indeed in every one of God's creatures. However, to be able to enter into the spiritual world, we must leave behind precisely everything in us that is personality in the physical world. Above all, we must acquire a subtle feeling for the truth. If esotericists lack this feeling, they will soon perceive in themselves that they must bear the consequences. Esotericists are not allowed to be satisfied with the excuse that they thought they were telling the truth. Esotericists will never succeed with this excuse, for they are responsible for every one of their words. The consequences of untruth will fall upon them, even if they thought they had spoken the truth. In our everyday life, it is often difficult to stay with the truth. Things often have a nuance that leads into an untruth. How often one hears, quote, I thought it was the truth, close quote. It is not easy to tread the path that leads into the higher worlds. A good method that we can all use in order to come to greater clarity concerning our personality is to look often at certain portions of our life at least once per year, perhaps on our birthday. Then we should ask ourselves what we have to show for good and bad deeds in the course of this stretch of life. If we examine ourselves very earnestly, we shall find in most cases that our good deeds do not arise from our personality but rather that we allowed them to happen out of an inner impulse. This inner impulse is our guardian angel who drives us to our good deeds. On the other hand, we must not rely entirely upon our angel, thinking at every opportunity that our guardian angel will give us an impulse soon enough, for this would be completely wrong. Our guardian angel would soon leave us that is, in a certain sense, leave us. If we continue this exercise for a number of years, 
we will experience that nothing contributes more to our discovery of character failings and their improvement than this taking stock of our accounts. Thus we gradually prepare ourselves to tread the esoteric path in a fruitful way. We do this by constantly freeing ourselves more and more from our personality, in a certain sense by emptying ourselves so that the Christ principle can enter us as Paul indicated with the words, quote, not I, but Christ in me, close quote. This being filled by the Christ principle frees our personality of egotism and leads to a vision of the highest. The name Christ is actually not the name of the principle that should be expressed, for the divine power that one names with this name is not to be spoken aloud. For this reason, the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings did not speak this name during their hours of consecration when they spoke these words, Ex Deo Nasimur, In Morimur, Perspiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. The end of Record A. Record B. Prayer to the Spirit of the Day, Wednesday for Thursday. When we find ourselves in an event such as the one that is to be held here today, we begin with a verse in order for us to be inspired in the proper way. We address the spirit of the day. These verses are mantras and possess great power. This evening we stand before an especially beneficial day for an esoteric lesson. The evening before Thursday, the day of Jupiter. We call not only to the great spirit of the sun that stands behind Thursday, but also to the spirit that is best able to inspire us in a corresponding way. You all have certain exercises in order to fulfill your meditation in the right way, and this is actually the technical part of the esoteric life. These exercises are to be repeated with energy and endurance day after day. The intention is to fill the soul with such a content that can gradually lead up into the spiritual world. To begin with, this content is to fill the soul in a conceptual form with complete exclusion of all other thoughts and pictures of the physical world, all cares and worries. It should live in the soul for as long as possible, as vividly and pictorially as possible. For many, because of their karma, this filling of the soul with this meditative thought content must remain as the only correct kind of meditation. Along the path that we undertake, when we devote ourselves to esotericism, we will see how weak we are. We will see how weak we are when we step out into the great macrocosm and how egotistical we are when we attempt to enter into our own inner soul life. It would be wrong for us to want to say, Indeed, God is in me, the divine seed is in me, therefore I do not need to look out into the world. No, the Logos is everywhere, in stone and in plant, in animal and in human beings. It reveals itself out there in everything. The sun is its garment. And when we observe human beings, are these sheaths that surround them like a cloak? 
No, they are what we are to work with, not a cloak that would have nothing to do with us. And when a hammer is broken, only after other things have been done to it can it be again used for work. Every kind of egotism, every form of vanity must be eliminated in esotericists. We have been given two tasks. First, to fill ourselves with the content of the meditations, to permeate our soul completely. Second, we are then to empty our souls completely of the content of the meditation. The soul does not then remain empty, but rather the spiritual world streams in. The pupil knows this moment when all subjectivity is completely overcome. But only then is it the true spiritual world, for otherwise one becomes a deceived deceiver. It may appear to such people that the Master appears, but in reality it could be that an evil being has taken on the mask of the Master. Truthfulness is an unconditionally necessary requirement in esotericism. One is not allowed only to believe that something is true, rather one must first research, and only then is one allowed to say something. We should take one day per year for a retrospective on the previous year, perhaps on the birthday, and we should review all the events of the year in an exact way. In doing so, we will discover that we have done more good in the year than we thought. But this examination will also show us that it was not ourselves but our good angel who did the good things, and that it was we who did everything that was botched. The end of Record B Record C In Pure Rays of Light in quotes. For example, for a longer period of time, Think yourself into a spiritual sun, S-U-N, from which divinity shines into the world. Forget yourself completely. Then let the words fall away too. Then with time the spiritual world will be revealed. Do not meditate on, quote, in me is a divine self, close quote. Then one does not remain humble. If we lack humility, angels easily appear caricatured, in an animal or similar form, and luciferic spirits appear as forms of light. Even if a pupil stands at a stage such that he or she is consciously in the presence of the masters, but does not remain humble, perhaps even brags to others about the experience, then it is easily possible for evil spirits or an evil occultist to use the appearance of a master and then lie or seduce the pupil. Without humility, even when researching Atlantean conditions, for example, errors easily arise. So that perhaps something spiritual, say the etheric parts of a human being, are not seen. An unconditional striving for truth is also necessary. Even speaking an erroneous statement in good faith has severe karmic consequences. When Surrendering one's personality in meditation, it is easy for everything to flutter away. Against this happening, one should hold firmly to Paul's words, quote, Not I, but Christ in me. Close quote. The Christ principle holds everything together. 
From time to time, for example on one's birthday, it is good to look back on the past. One will gradually get the feeling that the good deeds were not done by oneself, but rather by something within one, one's guardian angel. On the other hand, one also gets the impression that one has botched much by oneself. Therefore, we should look up to our guardian angel. The end of the esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin on June 12, 1911. Record A, manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg, notes from Günther Wagner. Record B, manuscript from Louis Glasson. Record A. My dear sisters and brothers, we must be very clear that there is a great difference between outer exoteric knowing and the knowing that theosophy provides. When we allow an outer perception to work on us, pictures and concepts are formed in us. In this way we get to know the thing that we are perceiving. We know something about it. Are matters the same with theosophical knowledge? Here too, when we are told about the four members of the human being or something concerning the planetary conditions of the earth or the Akashic Chronicle, we form concepts, pictures in our mind concerning these things. But there is something else involved. While exoteric knowledge does not enrich us, leaving nothing behind that goes beyond death, things are different with all esoteric knowing. It flows into us, into the astral body where it creates certain new members. New threads are woven into the astral body and remain attached to our being. We know that the astral body surrounds the human being in the shape of an egg. Since an I, capital, is at work in it, therefore it radiates out. New threads, new knowledge is woven into this astral body so that we can call it the, in quotes, body of knowledge, or, in quotes, cognition body. This body of knowledge will become ever denser and stronger, and eventually will be spirit self. The advancing planetary evolution of the earth is possible only by means of our developing this body. On Jupiter, this body of knowledge will already be as dense as the astral body, on Venus as dense as the etheric body, and finally on Vulcan it will have become about as physical as our blood. Now how can this theosophical knowledge become so fruitful that the body of knowledge is formed in the astral body? Let us clarify this with an example. We are surrounded by physical material air. We breathe it in. In this way we live. This is described in the Bible with the words, God breathed living breath into the human being, and he became a living soul. But what we exhale, carbonic acid, cannot sustain life. It is lethal air. Death began because we were released from the womb of the gods. Human beings ate from the tree of life, that is, with Lucifer's help they achieved independence and freedom. For this reason they were driven out of paradise, that is, they were no longer human beings of air, as in Lemurian times. They became water beings, and then 
human beings of earth. As long as we are on the earth, Lucifer will have power over us. But this is what is tragic about this being. Lucifer's power does not extend above and beyond the earth. All pain and suffering arise through Lucifer and are connected with this tragedy. On Jupiter, there will also no longer be any exoteric knowledge. Had human beings remained in paradise, they would have continued to eat from the tree of life. Lucifer's influence removed the tree of life, and in so doing, also the possibility of humanity's sinking even deeper than they already had after eating from the tree of knowledge. But now the tree of life is transformed into the symbol that, indeed, did at first signify death. But it holds a life within that is all the greater, a life that we can attain when we make the cross with the red roses our own. Just as the earth is enveloped by the air that we breathe, so there is also in this air a spiritual substance that wants to flow into human beings. It is up to us whether we exhale this spiritual substance as deadly air or whether we connect it with our theosophical knowledge and weave the fruit into our astral bodies. And this is important not only for ourselves alone, but for the entire cosmos. If we breathe in this spiritual substance without making it fruitful in us, then we are taking something from the cosmos but giving nothing in return, and thus we hinder evolution. It depends upon us whether the earth condition can be followed by the Jupiter condition by means of our increasing these spiritual forces surrounding the earth. When we look at old Saturn, we know that our physical body first arose there in seed form, so to speak. It came about through the thoughts of the gods. These thoughts were then condensed into what we are today. But already on old Saturn, it was counted upon that human beings would continue the work of the gods. And we do this when we allow the spiritual substance of our surroundings to flow into us in order to create out of this substance, our body of knowledge. That is the purpose of the mystery of Golgotha, to give human beings this opportunity. What is it then that we are taking into ourselves with this substance? It is Christ himself. Before the mystery of Golgotha, this was not the case. Then people could certainly say, ex Deo Nasimer, those to be initiated in those times were prepared so that they could go back to what had been handed down by the ancient gods. But we know that with the mystery of Golgotha, the spiritual aura of the earth changed because Christ became the spirit of the earth. He poured his very substance into the earth's aura and since then is contained within it. And again the time has come when this substance of Christ, which was poured out, has again been concentrated so that it can be taken up by human beings. In Christo Morimur means nothing more than immersing ourselves in this spiritual substance 
And thus we are taking in Christ with this substance so that we can say, quote, not I, but Christ in me, close quote. But there is one thing that we must not forget. Where there is much light, there is also much shadow. Many errors will insinuate themselves along with the new wisdom that is given to our time. Then it is our holy duty to test everything that we hear with our healthy common sense. This has always been stressed in all Rosicrucian esotericism. However, we should always be tolerant with those who fall into error. We must always say to ourselves that if what we have is really the truth, then it will exist through itself. But if it is error, then my passionate striving for the truth will achieve for me the certainty that in my next incarnation I will find the truth. Quote, in the spirit lay the seed of my body. Close quote. End of record A. Record B. Knowledge on the physical plane, such as science, art, even spiritual knowledge, through a medium, is luciferic knowledge that is doomed for death, just as exhaled air is dead. Theosophical knowledge, on the other hand, is something with substance that creates the body of knowledge, the future spirit self on Jupiter. Just as air surrounds us, so also does a spiritual region that is the light of Christ since the event of Golgotha. It has now been so condensed that we can absorb it. We must absorb it with our body of knowledge so that it is not killed, but rather works in us in a living way. There is a Rosicrucian verse that says, quote, Man is immortal because he wants to be. Close quote. The body of knowledge is what is immortal, what we can take with us beyond death. Rosicrucian esotericism has formulated every word so that these words educate the power of logical thinking, human reason. Thus, everything that is presented to us as the results of research from the spiritual world must be understood and tested. Blind faith must not hold sway in human beings. Blind faith and authority kills logical thinking and the spiritual in us. Lucifer is a tragic figure. He knows that his power over humanity is at an end with the earth. All the pain and suffering in the world is luciferic. Earlier, human beings were in the atmosphere around the earth. Only through Lucifer did they fall into the watery element and then into the earth element. This is the foundation for the picture of the fall into sin. Without Lucifer, human beings would have instinctively woven their other three members into the body of knowledge. The plan of freedom has been added as a second plan to earth evolution. The gods rested on the Sabbath. This is to be taken literally, because now human beings must themselves continue the work on their higher members. They themselves must build up the body of knowledge through theosophical thoughts and knowledge, just as on old Saturn the gods created our physical bodies with their thoughts and mental pictures. Clairvoyance in our time is the appearance of spiritual forms in the consciousness of human beings. We create these forms by taking the light of Christ into our body of knowledge. 
Human beings were not allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge in paradise because they would then have had to remain with their knowledge on earth in Lucifer's kingdom. Now, since the tree of knowledge has become the tree of the cross, of dead wood, from which new life, the roses, arises, now they should eat from the tree of life and drink the juice of the rose. In Christo Morimor means to rise up in meditation into the spiritual atmosphere surrounding the earth. Christ needed to come to the earth only once, because humanity since then has progressed and will be able to see him in a different way in the future. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson, given in Munich, August 23, 1911. Record A, Notes from Günter Wagner. Record B, Notes from the collection of Fred Popik. Record C, Manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolf. Record D, Anonymous Manuscript from the Freda Collection. Record E, Manuscript from Alice Kinko. Record F, Manuscript from Louis Classon. Arthur Rusel Weimar wrote in his diary about this hour, quote, Morning, 11 o'clock, was the first esoteric lesson that I experienced. Dr. Steiner held it in the Princess Hall. All the listeners were members of the esoteric school, to which I now also belonged. A festive quiet held sway in the room until Dr. Steiner stepped forward with an earnest expression and spoke the prayer, and then spoke about the proper way to meditate. He closed with a festive prayer that was almost sung. A deep quiet hung over the entire room until Dr. Steiner gave the sign for leaving. He spoke at the behest of the Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings. The form of human rays of force. Compare with the lecture of August 20th, 1911, in Collected Works, Volume 129, Wonders of the World, Trials of the Soul, and Revelations of the Spirit. Record A. Dear sisters and brothers, as you know, it is our duty, at the beginning of every esoteric lesson, to call upon the ruling spirit of the day, who is involved with directing the earth in world evolution. Bracket, verse for Wednesday, close bracket. Today we want to say some things in general. Next Saturday we will be more specific. Today we want to look at something that can be characterized as the only true and proper beginning of clairvoyance. The primary focus in all esotericism, in all inner development, is to create absolute calm, inner peace and quiet, and to maintain it after the actual meditation. After we have meditated on the verses or have done other things, the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings have given us for our training. We should abide for a while still in absolute quiet. Nothing of our everyday life, no memory of it, not even a feeling for our body should penetrate here. We must feel ourselves to be without a body, as if empty. We should also drop all thoughts of our own existence. Only the fact of our own existence should be admitted. And in doing this, we should not fall asleep, not fall into a dream or sleeping condition. 
then the condition can enter in which clairvoyance can begin. What then appears before our inner eye, EYE, comes from the spiritual world. There are signs that indicate whether the pictures appearing here are pure spirit or deceptive images. What would happen if the etheric body were to leave the physical body even for a moment? The physical body would contract, shrivel, and become wrinkled. It has the tendency to contract into the smallest space possible and ultimately dissolve into nothing. The tendency of the etheric body is to expand into the widths of space. It feels itself connected with all the forces out in space. It fills the physical body and spreads it out to the size that it has. Because of the physical body's tendency to shrivel up, we get wrinkles in old age. The physical body shrinks together because the etheric body no longer works in it the way it did in our youth. Something similar occurs with the etheric body in our meditations. The etheric body spreads out in space and feels itself to be within everything. The same thing is also the case at the first moment of death, when the etheric body leaves the physical body. This can last for days. It is a blissful feeling when the etheric body feels itself as if dissolved in space. And if the astral body were not present, then the etheric body would remain that way until the next birth. But the astral body draws the etheric body together again through its desires, drives, and passions. And in this way the human being enters into Kamaloka. Now in meditation we should strive toward the having, the feeling that the inner human being is illuminated through and through. And after years of effort this can be achieved. We ourselves become light. We become sources of light that illuminate objects in the spiritual world that approach us. The things that appear to us in moments of deepest soul calm are not the same as those that appear to us in outer physical life. Those we see from the outside, for example, when we see the sun rising over the horizon. But rather to stay with the picture of a sunrise, we would feel ourselves within the sun that rises above the horizon of our clairvoyant consciousness. We would feel ourselves there spread out within space. However, deceptive pictures arise before us if we bring personal feelings of sympathy and antipathy, especially antipathy, or an inappropriate bias for individual people, and so forth, into our meditations. Those who lie and are disingenuous in everyday life carry the lies within their etheric bodies and with them into space. The deceitfulness is reflected by the forms that the pupil sees there, just as a mirror reflects our face or an echo our voice. Seductive forms and visions, beautiful forms of angels, then appear there, caused by the deceitfulness that streamed out with the etheric body. These forms are increasingly attached to us because of the kinship of these forms with our own deceitfulness. In the end, we are simply unable to distinguish between truth and lies. 
Now many people may think that there must be means by which we can protect ourselves from these deceptive visions. But just as true as it is that I am standing here and speaking, representing the esotericism behind which the masters of wisdom and harmony of feeling stand, just as true is it that there is no means to banish these deceptive pictures all at once in order to prevent their appearance. Only gradually, through very patient, very gradual, steady work by oneself, on oneself, to overcome deceitfulness and untruthfulness, is it possible gradually to work in the direction that those deceitful visions no longer appear. This will happen when the lies are no longer mirrored because they are no longer present. Those who are too ambitious, those who have a false ambition to enter into esoteric training, those who feel an intemperate longing to experience all the truths of the spiritual world, they create thereby error within themselves. They become susceptible to all kinds of chatter and gossip out in the world. They are happy to be occupied with the everyday destinies of people and eagerly listen to all kinds of sensational explanations and events. They can no longer distinguish between what is true and what is not true. Thus excessive ambition and error are connected. We must battle within ourselves against excessive ambition and unhealthy desire for the highest truths, against lies and dishonesty, each one of us within ourselves. We must lift ourselves to the highest morality in our daily lives if we wish to arrive at correct clairvoyance that can proceed from properly carried through meditations. And for them to be properly carried through, we must not allow ourselves to carry feelings and thoughts from daily life into our meditations. Otherwise, we would pollute the etheric substance that should radiate out into space. The longer and more intensively the meditations are carried out, the more intensely they work on us. Yet we must be careful here. Those who notice that they do not feel well, who feel dizzy or something similar, should not extend the time very much, and they must seriously consider what they are doing wrong. One's sense of well-being should be the same after meditation as it was before meditation. We should reflect on our esoteric life often, very often. We should recognize our faults. We should be very clear about how corrupt we are. But this knowledge of our baseness should not depress us. Again, that would be crass egotism, for our depression would only prove that we thought we were better than we are in reality. Actually, we have precisely the faults that we ourselves acquired in our earlier life, and thus they become part of our karma. We must clearly survey our faults and then go to work to eliminate them. We must learn to think objectively. Those who say that they already think objectively are often found to be suffering from a great error because this assumption is itself only subjective. It is an illusion. Ambition leads to error, 
to superstition, which we must not fall prey to. We should approach everything that we encounter, whatever it may be, with a wakeful, open mind, with clear thinking and sharp logic. We should not have absolute confidence in something that may well appear to us at first as true. We should investigate it critically and not give ourselves over to something randomly. We should act this way in our esoteric life also. There is no demand for faith in any authority. My brothers and sisters, this is what the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings would say to you, that you should maintain your clarity of thought and apply it to what I am here justified in representing, to what is given out of clairvoyant consciousness, and to me also. You should approach what is given and represented here with healthy common sense, with reason and unprejudiced, sufficiently expanded thinking. You should not have absolute confidence in this or that, but rather judge for yourselves. This esoteric lesson, like all esoteric lessons, should be sacred to us. So, once again, we want to summarize all of what this lesson has brought to us in this sacred verse, beginning, quote, In the Spirit lay the seed of my body. In my body lies the seed of the Spirit. Close quote. End of record A. Record B. Discipline of the will and inner enlightenment. We know it is our duty at the beginning of every esoteric lesson, to call upon the spirit that is the representative of the day, to the extent that it is involved in the leadership of the earth in world evolution. Parenthesis, verse for Wednesday is spoken. Close parenthesis. What can help us further along in life should pass before our souls in this esoteric lesson. To begin with, we want to observe what one should consider as the only true and first beginning of clairvoyance. As we already know, from the moment of spiritual insight, a feeling enters us as if we were expanding and dissolving into the universe. This comes from the expansion of the etheric body, an event that occurs to some extent in every meditation and takes place completely after death. When the etheric body is completely or partially loosened and separated from the physical body, it is expanded and pushes far out into space. This experience is accompanied by a feeling of blessedness, and the human being would, as a matter of fact, be able to abide in this feeling during the life between death and new birth if only the astral body were not present. The astral body's forces, which are still connected with all the drives, desires and passions, permeate and pull the etheric body together. Because of this, we at first enter Kamaloka. On the other hand, if the etheric body were not present in our physical life, then the physical body would pull together and shrivel up because it has this tendency to shrivel even down to the smallest space, in order ultimately to dissolve into nothing. This happens through aging, when our forces diminish and we get wrinkles. 
In every meditation we should then strive for the feeling that we are inwardly filled with light. And after years of effort, this can be achieved. We ourselves become light, become sources of light that illuminate the objects that approach us in the spiritual world. What appear to us then in the calmest moments in the depths of our soul are no longer similar to the appearances in the physical world. We do not see things from outside, such as when we see the rising sun in the morning. Rather, staying with the example of the sun, we then feel ourselves in the sun that rises on the horizon of our clairvoyant consciousness. We feel ourselves distributed and spread out in space. However, illusory pictures can also arise, especially when we have feelings of sympathy and antipathy in an unfounded way for individual people, which we then take with us into the meditation. For example, the deceitfulness of those who in ordinary life are dishonest and lie streams into space with their etheric bodies and is then reflected from the forms they behold, just as a mirror reflects back our image. Thus deceptive forms in the shape of beautiful angels can arise, which are caused by the deceitfulness that streams outward with the etheric body. All beings are attracted that are related to the feelings of the esoteric student and they suffocate the student even more in his or her weaknesses and vices. All around us in space are many beings, both good and evil, and we call to these divine forces and powers through our esoteric training. Now, many people may think that means must exist to protect oneself from these kinds of deceitful visions. But as truly as I stand here and speak and represent the esotericism behind which the masters of wisdom and harmony of feeling stand, just as truly is there no means to banish these deceptive pictures once and for all in order to prevent their appearance. Only gradually through steady work on oneself is it possible to work in the direction that these deceitful visions no longer appear. Only by working on ourselves through an inward training of the will, so that the lies are simply no longer present in us, can we stop the illusions. Then they will not be reflected back through the etheric body. Those who enter into an esoteric training with too much ambition, for example, if they want to discover, if possible, all the truths of the spiritual world, and those who feel such an intemperate longing thereby create error within themselves. They become susceptible to all kinds of chatter and gossip out of the world. They happily occupy themselves with the everyday destinies of people and eagerly listen to all kinds of sensational discussions and stories. They can no longer distinguish between what is true and what is not true. Thus our connected ambition and error. Each one of us must battle excessive ambition and unhealthy desire for the highest truths within ourselves. We must lift ourselves to the highest morality in our daily lives if we wish to arrive at correct clairvoyance, which can only proceed from properly executed meditations, 
on the foundation of a moral life strictly followed. But in order to meditate in the proper fashion, all thoughts of everyday life must be excluded. However, if we, nevertheless, bring those kinds of thoughts and feelings along into our meditations, we contaminate our etheric substance. The longer and more intensively the meditations are carried out, the stronger is their effect upon us. However, one must be careful here. Anyone who notices that he or she does not feel well, who feels dizzy or anything similar, should not extend the meditation too long. One must give serious thought to the question, quote, What have I done wrong? Close quote. After meditating, one's state of health must be the same as it was before meditating. Yes, we should think often, very often, about our meditative life. We should recognize our mistakes and become very clear how evil we still are. But this knowledge of our baseness should not depress us, because these character weaknesses that we have prepared for ourselves through previous earth lives remain in our karma. We should survey our faults very clearly and then set about eradicating them. In doing so, we must learn to think objectively, just as we would observe a stranger's thinking. We acquire this precisely through the study of spiritual science. Those who say after a short period of time, quote, I do not think subjectively, but in an entirely objective way, close quote, are very mistaken. For this assumption is itself still completely subjective. It is nothing more than vanity, since to begin with we cannot think objectively at all. Let us think about this one more time. All ambition, all untruthfulness with regard to ourselves will lead inexorably to error, to superstition. We must not fall prey to this. We should approach everything that might come to us, whatever it may be, wherever it may come from, and above all we should approach ourselves with a wakeful, open mind, with clear thinking and sharp logic. This means we must not swear by something, even if it at first appears true, if we have not yet critically researched it ourselves. It means never blindly accepting the truth of anything. So, here too, in the esoteric life, faith in authority is not required. And this, my dear sisters and brothers, is what the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings want to have said to you, that you should maintain and use your full powers of reasoning when receiving these truths from them, which I am here entitled to represent to you out of clairvoyant consciousness. You should use your full powers of reasoning even over and against me. What is presented here should be approached only with healthy common sense, without prejudice, and with sufficiently expanded reasonable thinking. You should not swear upon this or that, but rather form your own judgments. This esoteric lesson, like all esoteric lessons, should be sacred to us. So once again we want to summarize all of what this lesson has brought us in this verse, beginning, quote, In the spirit lay the seed of my body. The end of record B. 
Record C. The most important for our development, the most significant moments in our esoteric life, are those that occur after our meditation, when we allow complete calm to enter into our souls in order for the content of our meditation to work upon it. We should strive to extend these periods of time increasingly over time. For by means of this, quote, lifting ourselves out, close quote, of the circle of our everyday thoughts and feelings, by means of this emptying of our souls, we put ourselves into contact with another world. Out of this, world pictures come to meet us, pictures concerning which we must admit that they are new to us, that there is nothing in our life in the physical world with which we can otherwise compare them. Whether they are correct or not, this they will tell us themselves. What are we actually doing when we produce this calm in our soul? We are doing the same thing that certain beings do with us macrocosmically at the moment of our death. We have often said that the four members of our being are firmly woven together. Mainly the physical and etheric bodies stand in a special relationship to one another. What would happen if we separated the etheric body from the physical body? The forces in the physical body have the tendency to draw it together more and more. If separated from the etheric, the physical body would become increasingly smaller, would shrink together into a ball and ultimately disappear into itself. On the other hand, the etheric body has the tendency to spread out more and more. In this way it gives the physical body its form. Outside the physical body it spreads itself out into the cosmos and this self-expansion is connected with a feeling of blissful blessedness. After death this expansion is limited ultimately only by the astral body. What is present in the astral body in terms of drives, desires and passions draws the etheric body together again and thereby brings about Kamaloka. During our moments of meditation, which should be sacred to us, we independently induce this state. We loosen the etheric body from out of the physical body. Of course, this is not perceptible to our physical senses. Nevertheless, we lift it up into spiritual worlds. In such moments we should forget our physical bodies as much as possible. We should not feel it. We should forget that we are alive. Of course, not to the extent that we fall asleep. That would be wrong and injurious. But rather, in full consciousness of our life, we nevertheless should pay no attention to it. Thus we should allow nothing from our daily life or feelings into our souls, especially nothing of our sympathies or antipathies, which are so often unjustified. For what would we do with them? Through the fact that we pour the etheric substance of our souls into the etheric world, we come into contact with other hierarchies from which good and evil beings live in this world. 
and the substances that we pour into this etheric world attract other substances that are similar to them. When we carry our character defects along with us into this world, then they flow toward the other etheric forces and are mirrored back to us by them, but not in their true form. Rather, they are mirrored in figures that are often seductive, that dazzle us and dim and confuse our judgment. As an unclean room attracts flies, so too an etheric body permeated by faults attracts, in that world, beings inclined to deceive. If deceitful or excessively ambitious people carry these character flaws along into their meditation, then it can happen that they may increasingly prefer to give themselves over to deception, that they learn to love lying and deception. For this reason, an esotericist should pay twice as much attention to his or her faults. With courage and modesty, we should say to ourselves that we are bad human beings and that we will endeavor to set aside our faults. However, we must not be depressed over this and allow ourselves to be beaten down by the consciousness of this fact, for that would be egotism. We must say karma is the reason why we are the way we are. We must not wish to be otherwise through divine grace, which we have not earned. Rather, we should strive to become otherwise through our own knowledge. This is not easy. But in this way we come to the right path. In the beginning of our esoteric work, we should not expand this lifting out of the etheric body to the extent that it disturbs our physical sense of well-being. Upon return, we should find our physical body to be the same as when we left it. And if we experience dizziness or anything similar that we were not experiencing before, then we should shorten our meditations. Nowhere in genuine esoteric schools is it required that students become dependent upon a teacher. On the contrary, esotericists should test what is said to them. They should permeate what is told to them with their intelligence, compare it with what was told them in the past, and seek to supplement it. Faith in authority is never required in schools that stand under the guidance of the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings. Great caution is called for whenever such faith is required, wherever such a pledge is demanded. Students should strive and test what they are told independently. Their knowledge will guide them. There is no magical formula to give them that will remove the faults and weaknesses that reveal to them a world of deception instead of the true spiritual world. Only through slow work and honest self-examination can a student gradually become a different person, a person who can bear to look at his or her true being with all its weaknesses and not lose courage and inner composure while seeing the truth. Students must take the transformation of their being in hand with great strength. Students must not be filled with a feeble longing for truth and knowledge, but rather a healthy longing for the truth, 
in which lies the power to behold one's faults. If immediately after awakening in the morning one attempts to dip back into the spiritual world from which one has just come by emptying one's soul and immersing oneself in meditation, then in this way one can achieve again the connection and the memory of one's nightly experiences in the spiritual world. The end of Record C. Record D. In this hour we are to be given teachings that we have sometimes already received, that is, concerning the way we are to behave when practicing our meditative exercises. Complete tranquility of soul should rule in our minds before and especially afterward. We must attempt to keep external impressions away from us. In our soul all must be quiet that would surge forward from our inner life of feeling and also all that would storm in upon our thoughts. Only then, only in such a mood of soul can the veil be torn that allows us to see into the spiritual world which then spreads out before us in a wealth of images or pictures. But the most important thing that students must know when they see these pictures before them is that what they are seeing does not always express what it appears to express. Although what is revealed to the eye, E-Y-E, is a reality, too often it consists of deceptive and seductive forms that we have awoken and woven out of our own souls. Such forms appear before us especially when as esotericists we still have an inclination toward untruthfulness, toward lies, if we are only dishonest, but especially when we are filled with ambition and arrogance. For then we unconsciously send these feelings into our meditations. These personal feelings are woven into the forms that appear before us. And then the condition of our own souls ray forth back to us in the etheric pictures of the supra-sensory world. However, if students purify their minds and souls and then approach their meditations with humility, they will recognize soon enough what they are to consider the truth. There is yet another way a human being can get insight into the supra-sensory world. It happens when we have achieved the stage where we can step out of the physical body. This comes about by loosening the etheric body from the physical body. When we see someone standing in front of us, we usually think that we see only the physical person, but this is not so. For if we were seeing only the physical body, then something entirely different would appear to us. We know that the human being consists of a physical body, etheric body, astral body, and I, capital. If we were to subtract the physical body away from the etheric or life body, then the physical body would shrink, shrivel up, and finally disappear entirely. This is because the physical body has the tendency to shrink together, whereas the etheric body holds the opposite tendency. That is, it strives to expand itself. In the moment of physical death, the etheric body expands itself out into the cosmos. For those who have died, who have gone through the door of death, there is a feeling of the greatest blessedness 
of the greatest sense of comfort as they are expanded into the widths of space. However, because they still carry a desire for the material world from the previous life, they are drawn back into the earthly, and then the Kamaloka time begins. In a way similar to the one just described, those people who have achieved a certain stage of esoteric development can lift the etheric body out of the physical body. However, we should not exaggerate our exercises, especially at the beginning of our development. They should not claim too much time. Above all, we must guard ourselves so that they do not make us sleepy or even fall asleep. For then it could happen that more or less evil beings overpower us. In all that we undertake for our higher development, we must always maintain full consciousness. Today there are many esoteric streams that constantly acquire increasing influence over humanity, especially when they are recommended by a kind of authority. Whatever may approach human beings in whatever way, they should never blindly believe, even if something is spoken by an authority. Always and in every case we ourselves should test what we hear. We should always use our reason. We should also approach everything that we have learned in the course of the years with our own thinking, with our own logic, and ask whether we can reconcile it with our own understanding or whether we must dismiss it as illogical. The end of record D. Record E. The same thing happens to a human being in meditation as happens in death. Only gradually can we recognize the enormity and power of what we undertake in meditation. Can we recognize that we breach the deep, powerful mystery of death when we devote ourselves in the right way to meditation? The physical body has in itself the tendency toward contraction. If we were to think away the etheric body, then the physical body would shrink together more and more down to the smallest space and then disappear into itself. The etheric body maintains the physical body the way we see it. In old age, wrinkles are the result of the diminishing forces of the life body. We were reminded of the importance of being awake and remaining awake. The end of Record E. Record F. The physical body has the tendency to shrink together. The etheric body has the tendency to expand out into the cosmos. In meditation, the physical body is made passive, just as after death, Our higher members are extended into the spiritual world that surrounds us and is filled with good and evil beings. If we take our desires and passions, sympathies and antipathies, vanity, ambition and so forth with us into our meditations, then we attract evil powers. The moments after meditation are especially important. The quiet time. Close parenthesis. Spiritual mercury is everywhere filled with good and evil spiritual powers, except there, where a human being sends his or her forces out. There, the spiritual world is pushed back. The empty areas 
in the drawing above show the form of the outward streaming forces of the human being. The higher hierarchies work into it, the spirits of form, movement, and wisdom, the thrones, cherubim, and seraphim, and the evil powers work from the periphery as far as the circle. The archai work within the circle as far as the pentagram along the human streams of force. The archangels work within the pentagram as far as the pentagon. Angels permeate entirely the human being. The human etheric body is capable of being expanded out to the stars without becoming fragmented. The astral body can also be expanded out to spiritual beings whether good or evil. But it becomes more passive and leaves behind part of itself. The I capital must now achieve the power to hold together these parts by means of lines of force that it can achieve through the study of spiritual and esoteric science. Everything must be grasped with the intellect. There must be no blind faith in authority which undermines the intellect. The present time is filled with the possibility of falling victim to errors. One must use one's common sense and reason against this danger. We must maintain peace with those who are following false paths, but we must also use our good judgment. The End of the Esoteric Lesson Esoteric Lesson, given in Munich on August 26, 1911 Record A Notes from Günther Wagner Record B. Notes from Günther Wagner Record C. Notes from the collection of Elisabeth Freda The following entry was found in Arthur Rössel's diary, quote, I must also mention that Dr. Steiner this morning held the second esoteric lesson in the esoteric school. At the conclusion he appealed to the members not to allow themselves to be influenced by any kind of authority at the upcoming Congress in Genoa, not to accept anything that they could not test themselves. Record A. My dear sisters and brothers, it is our duty to call on the Spirit of the Day, of whom we may hope, must hope, will help us with our esoteric striving. Verse for Saturday, beginning quote, Great all-encompassing Spirit, in your life I live with the earth's life. Close quote. Further, quote, great all-encompassing spirit, my eye is raised from below to above. May it sense you in the all-encompassing. Close quote. In the last esoteric lesson, August 23rd, we saw that when we are meditating, the etheric body is poured out into space. This spiritual space is filled with all possible kinds of beings, good and bad, with which we are connected, with which our etheric body becomes connected. Different spirits work into history at different times. Furthermore, the same beings are not active in all places at the same time. Those in Asia have Europe to the west, in Europe they have Asia to the east. The realms of other beings limit their individual spiritual space at various places. But in the spiritual space where a human being dwells, there is always an empty spot, so to speak, as if spared from other spiritual beings, 
that the human being fills out him or herself. Here the streams that work through the human being hold sway. If we wanted to draw how these beings, the good and the bad, work in space and are kept away from the space occupied by the human being, then the following occult sign would result. There's a a star with a circle around it. In the present time, it is mainly the spirits of form who work here. However, they cannot work into human beings. Into this space, the three lower hierarchies work angels, archangels, and spirits of personality. Only the angels can work throughout the entire space of this five-pointed star. If we wanted to bring to mind how far the archangels can work, then we must divide up this pentagon, blue, that we already considered in an exoteric public lecture. They do not enter into this pentagon, only as far as the five triangles, yellow. If we want to show how far the spirits of personality can work into this diagram, we must draw a circle around the five-pointed star. If we stretch out our arms and think of a circle going all around from head to fingertips to the tips of the toes, then the spirits of personality can go only into the parts that are bounded by the head, stretched out arms, and a particular arc of the circle, and so forth. Green. The spirits of form can no longer get to the human being. They reach the circle described above and are pushed back by the forces that are at work in the fourfold being of the human being. Now when the etheric body is expanded during meditation, it is in all of these beings and facts that are outside the circle, out to the stars. It is, quote, poured out, close quote, without interruption, without a gap, over everything. If one followed it with clairvoyant vision, one would not see it ever end. It is simply present everywhere. Now, if the student still has character traits such as mendacity, dishonesty, untruthfulness, ambition, and so forth, such as were discussed last time, then these qualities accompany the etheric body into the spiritual space. And if there is an evil being here or there, then the evil in us feels related and attracted to it. Now the astral body goes with the etheric body into spiritual space. The intellectual, the thinking part of the astral body, expands out of the upper tip of the star. The feeling part expands right and left out through the middle tips. And the willing part downward out of the two lower tips of the star. However, the astral body does not remain as unbroken as the etheric body during this expansion. Individual shreds of it can become separated, which we then can see and follow in space. If we have a connection to an evil being that dwells there in space, then part of the astral body, because of its wish nature, becomes attached to and connects with this being. This part of our astrality is separated from our astral body. The astral body is broken into fragments, in many individual fragments. 
Thus we have in the most varied places parts of our astral body widely scattered in space, which appear to us as individual beings during meditation. But we do not know that they actually belong to us, so they lead us into error and deception. However, between these individual fragments of our astral body there are threads. They are connected to each other and to the pentagram. This connection is produced by means of the human eye. Capital. Before the mystery of Golgotha, human beings had to have been extremely evil to have lost mastery over these scattered astral fragments. Other beings worked with them in their souls just for this purpose. Now, after the mystery of Golgotha, human beings are destined to take over this mastery themselves, working out of their own eye. Even quite advanced esotericists can err by not properly recognizing these connections. In order to prevent this, esotericists must dedicate themselves to a study full of devotion. By studying to acquire knowledge of all that is in spiritual space, of the entire evolution of Saturn, Sun, Moon and Earth development, and of the beings and hierarchies that have worked in those stages of evolution to create the human being, by such a study the I can control the connections between all the individual parts of its astral body. In this way we can protect against error and deception. Esotericists should not study merely for themselves, out of curiosity or anything like that. Rather, they should make the most devoted study into their duty for the sake of human and earth evolution. And when through intensive study we have come to understand our own being, when we thereby know how and by what means we have come into existence, we acquire a holy feeling for it all. This feeling we then express in the sentence, quote, We are born out of God, ex Deo Nasimur. We should permeate ourselves with this feeling deeply, ardently, and we should make the etheric currents, which have been already discussed in an exoteric lecture on the etherization of the blood, stream upward from the heart to the brain, surrounding the brain with light and activating the pineal gland. We should make these currents luminous like flames in which all personal concerns fall away. We must entirely lose ourselves in the feeling that we want to sacrifice ourselves completely for world evolution like the spirit beings did, like Christ sacrificed himself. Then we can learn to express this feeling in the sentence, quote, We die in Christ, in Christo morimur, close quote then the certainty lights up in us that we ascend to the Spirit, that we resurrect in the Spirit, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. Ex Deo nascimur, in Christo morimur, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. This is the exoteric verse of the Rosicrucians. When esotericists say this verse, they pause at that which expresses what we characterize as the word Christ. This is sacred to them. They do not even want to go that far with the word. 
They do not speak the word, but allow the feeling to speak. Then, when genuine Rosicrucians and their deepest meditations speak the verse, it sounds like this. Ex Deo nascimur, in Christo morimur, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. End of that section, I believe this is still the same esoteric verse. There's an asterisk here and then it says, Then there was a longer discussion concerning the upcoming Congress in Genoa. We should strive to reflect and evaluate for ourselves what we hear in terms of esotericism, what the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings give, what Dr. Steiner himself represents. We may well not be able to discover occult truths ourselves, for example, about the two Jesus children, but we can and should reflect upon them. It would be wrong to present a specific person who is alive today as the incarnation of a specific being, whether or not it is based on truth. It is one of the most important occult laws that such pronouncements concerning living personalities are not to be made in public. It is something different to present such ideas in an esoteric lesson where one can sense and feel how such a statement is working and how it is taken up by individuals. Today is an age in which people easily fall into error. Such a pronouncement would cause the thinking of individuals to suffer inhibitions. Because of this, people would regress in their capacity to think. People must be seriously warned about such pronouncements, which are made for the purpose of propaganda and one must seriously decline any possible involvement in such propagandizing. Of course, however, one should do so with complete personal tolerance and with a feeling of peace toward the personalities who are committing this error. We must succeed with true knowledge, and then we learn, know, and feel that we come forth from the Spirit. Beginning, quote, In the Spirit lay the seed of my body, in my body lies the seed of the Spirit. Close quote. End of record A. Record B. Only the three lower hierarchies work directly upon the human being. The angels work into the human being up to the cross-hatched pentagram, which represents symbolically the human being, specifically the etheric body. See page 176. The archangels work only into the five points of the star that are not cross-hatched, and the spirits of personality only up to the pentagram, that is, in the rest of the parts within the circle, for example, with arms outstretched in the space between the top of the head and the fingertips left and right, and between these fingertips and spread legs, that is, the tips of the toes. Higher hierarchies exert their influence only up to the circle, This is the case with all human beings. Now, esotericists extend their etheric bodies out beyond the pentagram as far as the planets. They remain, however, connected as coherent wholes and meet there good and evil beings. It is different with the astral body that expands with the etheric body. If the astral body finds there is a being or something that is attracted to the astral body's wish nature, then a portion of the person's astrality becomes attached to it and is separated from the main part of the astral body. 
In this way the astral body can be separated into many pieces. The tendency arises for the intellectual part, the thinking part of the astral body, to expand out of the top point, the feeling part to expand right and left out of the middle two points, the willing part to expand below out of the two lower points. This partitioning of the astral body gives rise to the danger that we lose the feeling of coherence. The I cannot hold together. Rather, we feel the I in the various separated parts. The esotericist's greatest task is to hold together the threads connecting the various parts. This task is accomplished with healthy common sense, that is, through calm, logical thinking, with a thorough study of the general and specific teachings of theosophy, and through rationally thinking of and testing the teachings. Only in this way do we make the teachings entirely our own and strengthen the eye. Not accepting anything on authority. Doing so would take away the eye to the point that it would no longer have control over itself. Such an effect would result, for example, from imparting to unprepared people the knowledge of the earlier incarnations of certain individuals now alive, publicly known individuals. This deleterious effect would hold entirely independently of the truth of these assertions. This would happen because the listeners could not feel the truth or comprehend the connections, the probability or the meaning of these reincarnations. Such announcements would have to be accepted on authority. For this reason, people must be warned of the seriousness of participating in such announcements that are undertaken for the purpose of propaganda in the public arena. We must combine this serious rejection of any possible invitation to participate in such propaganda with personal tolerance and friendliness toward those who are making this mistake. End of Record B Record C When we take our esoteric development in hand, we will get a feeling that there are spiritual streams that want to gain influence over us, either in a good or an evil sense. Where does this come from? If we look back at the world's earliest evolution, we know that from this very beginning, spiritual beings have worked on us. Higher beings have worked upon us from the outside. But there are also those who have worked on the inner evolution of our earth. Now, what happens when one begins esoteric development and in meditation is immersed in the first verse? Quote, in pure rays of light shines the divinity of the world. Close quote. What happens then to the etheric body? In the previous lesson, we heard that the human physical body has the tendency to shrink when a human being gets old because the etheric body is gradually drawn out of the physical body. We heard, too, that the etheric body holds the opposite tendency. It wants to expand itself out to the macrocosm, up to the stars. Such a self-expansion occurs to a greater or lesser degree in meditation and even with a mere peripheral study of spiritual science. As long as it is connected with the physical body, the etheric body remains limited by the form of the physical body. 
since we know that the entire macrocosm is filled with spiritual beings, with beings of the highest hierarchies, as well as with many other good and evil beings, we can imagine that the human being is completely embedded in them. But the space that the human being takes up is excluded from them. It is not always the same beings that work into human beings. They are different depending upon country, climate, or the characteristics of nature. We can picture what has just been said by means of this drawing, and there's a drawing here. In the pentagram, we see the streams of force that are at the foundation of the entire human being and that have created the human being. We must think of the outer surrounding area as filled with beings that penetrate to the human being. The middle pentagon determines the magnitude of the forces of the physical body, and especially into this area the hierarchy of those beings that we call the angels or angeloi work. The etheric body is expressed in the five points of the star, and into this area the archangels work who exert their influence upon human beings. The area limited by the circle signifies the astral body, and into this area the archai, primal beginnings or spirits of personality work. Other hierarchies impinge from outside, the spirits of form, of movement, of wisdom, and of the will, all the way up to the cherubim and seraphim. We are constantly sending thoughts out of the astral body up to the brain. We know that through the cooperation of the three bodies, a spiritualized stream of our thoughts goes forth and streams into the space around us. This stream is then taken up or attracted by beings that are attracted or repelled according to the kind of thoughts we have. We must think of it this way. A part of our astral body is repelled, so to speak, and then in the space around us it is connected with this or that being that is in our spiritual environment and is sympathetic to it. This can happen in every direction of space toward the most varied beings. If then students do not allow themselves to be guided by their healthy common sense and become connected with such beings that are to be found in astral space, then they will come to a certain inner absent-mindedness. This can also happen if students accept on blind faith what they have not researched themselves, or if they do not take the time to grasp esoteric studies with their reasoning understanding. They will then easily lose themselves if they do not want to apply their healthy common sense when seeing in the spiritual world. They will constantly observe wrongly and come to wrong conclusions. Let us now look back to a specific point in world evolution, to Old Sun. In the middle of Old Sun, sublime spiritual beings left it because the finer substances of their being could no longer be united with the Sun's constituent particles, which had already become denser. These particles could even be called solid for the conditions of that time, but they were nevertheless still etheric substances. One such sublime being separated from those that left, remained behind on Old Sun, and permeated the substance of the Sun with a fine spiritual power. 
In the ancient mysteries, this power was already spoken of. It was known as the power of Christ. It is the same power that was sacrificed again in later earthly evolution and remained behind on the earth when our sun withdrew from it to become a fixed star. For a while it remained with the earth, then it went over to the moon and mirrored from there the power of the sun onto the earth. This being of sun power was Yahweh Christ, the same being who revealed himself to Moses and announced to Moses that he would one day dwell with us in the flesh. Since the baptism in the Jordan and the event of Golgotha, this Christ power has united with human beings and with the earth. He enters even today into those human beings who want to take their higher development in hand. Esoteric students who expand their etheric bodies through meditation into the widths of space connect their etheric bodies in their emanation with this fine Christ substance. They no longer feel the I, capital, and the Pauline expression, quote, not I, Christ in me, close quote, becomes a reality. Human beings should develop this spiritual seed within themselves so that after they have brought the spiritual seed to the highest perfection, they can once again return to the spirit from which they once came. Then one will know the kind of reverence with which Rosicrucian students spoke the Holy Prayer, beginning, quote, In the spirit lay the seed of my body. In my body lies the seed of the spirit. Close quote. End of record C. Record D. There are spiritual beings present in the entire cosmos. They fill it, and hence they permeate and surround human beings as well. Nevertheless, we can distinguish between what belongs directly to human beings and what is a part of our spiritual environment. This spiritual environment varies according to where the human being is located. These spiritual surroundings are different in Europe than in Asia. In Asia, Europe is to the west, in Europe, Asia is to the east. That alone determines a difference. The beings of the third or the lowest hierarchy work into human beings more or less directly. The spirits of form, up to the cherubim and seraphim, work in the environment into human beings. This can be presented in a picture, and there's a diagram. If we represent human beings and the forces that work in them, as a white surface, then we have a five-pointed star, the pentagram. Angels penetrate into human beings the most, into their physical bodies. That is represented by the innermost pentagon. Archangels cannot penetrate there. Rather, they remain with the five outer triangles that surround the pentagon. The archai work into those parts that are not directly within the pentagram. They work into those parts indicated by what lies between the pentagram and the circumscribing circle. In the lecture cycle titled Wonders of the World, Trials of the Soul, Revelations of the Spirit, we have already seen that the inner pentagram represents the physical body, the five triangles represent the etheric body, the space between these triangles and the circle belongs to the astral body, and the circle itself must be seen as the ego itself. 
if we imagine a circle drawn from the head to the extended arms, these are the parts that are brought about by the archai. Outside this circle, the higher hierarchies are at work, beginning with the spirits of form. We know that the physical body has the tendency to draw itself together, to shrink, while the etheric body has the tendency to expand itself. In meditation, and even with continuous, serious study of theosophy, such an expansion in space more or less takes place and can be extended out to the stars and the sun without the connection with the physical body being broken. With the astral body, it is the reverse. It can lose the connection and partially be split off from itself. This can be the case if students firmly cling to certain things in space that are sympathetic to them, or when they are attracted by astral beings, whether good or evil. If, for example, an evil being is to be found in our surroundings, then the etheric body, if it feels itself drawn toward this being because of character traits at work in the soul, will expand itself out that far and surround the being. However, with the astral body, such an expansion can cause a part to separate and then surround the being. In this way, the astral body can split up to encompass several beings in its surrounding. In this way, it leaves part of its essence behind, but between the scattered, separated parts, a connection remains. In this way, a splitting of consciousness also takes place, because consciousness is connected with the astral body. We then no longer feel ourselves to be a unified, self-contained personality, but rather as if split into several personalities. This experience is indicated by the passage in the Gospel when the demons who possessed a sick man were asking the question, quote, What is your name? Close quote, and they responded by saying, Legion. Therefore, those who are driven by a strong desire for esoteric development, unless they strengthen their eye at the same time, are in danger of having the astral body fragmented in this way. Then they are no longer capable of recognizing which being has taken over a part of the astral body, whether good or evil. Only serious study, above all, of what is given in title and outline of esoteric science, the lecture cycles, and so forth, can make the I, the self, so strong that it can unite the individual parts again, whether among each other or directly with one's own being. Those who have sufficiently devoted themselves through such study are not as easily deceived with respect to the nature of a spiritual being that is directly before them. The possibilities for error are otherwise very great and were never as great as right now. One of the worst things one can do is to point out publicly this or that human being as the reincarnation of a specific personality. But this is something that cannot be proven, and it leads to the destruction of the intellect, which precisely now should be in a process of development. And that is the end of section 4, which is pages 132 to 181 in the book.